Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Sunday for March 17th, 2019. Koyo Kobose here, so very, very glad you joined us on this St. Patrick's Day. <clears throat> I'm almost compelled to talk about it since it's right on the day. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, the color that it is associated what St. Patty's Day is green. And it's not, somehow this uh, <clears throat> really permeates our culture. A lot of cities, I know in Chicago, some somebody or organization or group puts uh, green food coloring into the Chicago River, and <laughs> the river runs green, and everybody's saying, hey, you better, you have to wear green, you know, and all this. <clears throat> But when I think of the the color green, it also symbolizes um, nature, sustainability, um, the Green New Deal, or colors, uh, different organizations might have a color. Uh, they say royalty has a the color is purple for some reason. Uh, traditional, kind of interesting, but traditional uh, Buddhist color is yellow. And from what I understand, uh, the early followers of the Buddha, um, they they would make their, out of a tattered, discarded cloth, that was on, you know, uh, on the side of the road, and they would get all these, and then they would kind of recycle, and they would sew it up. And of course, <laughs> sometimes you can see a lot of denominations, a Buddhist denomination. They have very fancy robes, you know. <clears throat> but back in the day, uh, they were, you know, the, the monks used uh, renunciation. Uh, was the way, uh, spiritual way, truth seekers, 
okay? Uh, and so they really, um, you know, uh, they didn't have jobs and getting money and all that, so they had to be resourceful in terms of being able to live. And um, <clears throat> so I thought that was kind of interesting that because yellow, as I understand it, is the color, very pale yellow, when any cloth, whatever color it is, is left out in the sun, it'll eventually fade and fade and um, light yellow color is uh, what it becomes. And, uh, and of course, <clears throat> there were a lot of uh, teachers or a lot of uh, approaches to uh, for truth seekers at the Buddhist time and and uh, <clears throat> I think um, the people wanted to be able to they mistakenly thought so and so was a follower of so and so you know this teacher and they said hey you, we should have a distinctive so that you could tell by just by looking at you know <clears throat> you could identify this person as a follower of this approach or this teacher. And, uh, and so that's how it, the idea of distinctive robes, um, and uh, even though they say Buddhist colors, uh, well, the monks have saffron. Um, I guess it's more orangey, but as I said, I, uh, yellow is the tr real traditional color of Buddhism. But I mention all this in terms of color because <clears throat> when I think of green associated with St. Patrick's Day, and of course St. Patrick's Day is very close to uh, spring equinox, uh, <clears throat> and spring means green. Okay. Of course you could say green is associated with a lot of uh, ideas of money <laughs> or uh, green lettuce but green there, there's something um, uh, fresh about it you know you, if you're a gardener and you plant something in your garden and, and uh, <clears throat> early spring and when you see those little green shoots come up boy there's nothing like that okay, that's the most exciting aspect of the whole cycle almost when you see those things just start to pop out of the ground all in a row. Um, and so I was thinking also about seeds because um, uh, I have a garden and uh, right around now I'm spending a lot more time outside in the garden and doing things. And uh, when I plant seeds, seeds are so small. And I just am just flabbergasted that something so small is going to produce a luscious tomato or is going to produce a, a melon or going to produce this kind of plant, you know, whatever vegetable it is. And it starts from this real tiny seed. Uh, the power of nature just is fantastic. Um, uh, and I think everybody is struck by the the act, 
activity of nature. It's springtime. You know, you, you, it's just invigorating. You feel that energy. Okay? And uh, we need to tap into that kind of power of nature. Um, they talk about Green Buddha, or you know, people that are inter- Buddhists that are interested in ecology, and they even have, if they're really into it, they have they form echo sanghas. Um, you know, I say, oh, Green uh, Dharma, Green Buddha, and I know people that um, are into ecology. Um, they say that that term Green Buddha say is redundant uh, because the Buddha. Major teaching is uh, constant change, interdependency. That's nature right there. Okay, um, the miracle of nature. Well, <clears throat> okay, we have a uh, a guest scheduled uh, to call in live. And uh, I don't see his number uh, on my switchboard, so maybe something happened. Uh, but I was told that um, he was going to be calling in live, so I hope everything is okay on his end. But <clears throat> I was thinking uh, <clears throat> that Kakuyo is his Dharma name that I gave, and uh, he's part of the LM10 group, which they just uh, did as lay ministers last May, and um, when they, that's the time when they all come to Bright Dawn here, and uh, we have an induction ceremony, and this is the first time that people see each other in person and everything, so that's really nice, and uh <clears throat> As I was driving him to uh, to the airport, okay, when he was leaving, we provided transportation to the airport and so forth. And uh, so it was just he and I, and we were driving, and we were just talking about different things. And he said something very intriguing, very kind of a provocative idea. He said that he's, uh, one of his goals is to take breath well of course you might you might think to yourself well gee what does that mean once you know we talk say oh mindful breathing and 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 this kind of thing he says well that's my this is my goal this is my idea you know i'm going to take be able to take the perfect breath uh, I mentioned this at one of the lay ministers' uh, trailblazer meeting, and boy, it stimulated a lot of gushing. What does that mean? <clears throat> when you have the idea of something perfect, you know, a perfect, well, you name it, you could say, I want to make the perfect meal. Oh, oh. I'm going to introduce Alex Cacchio. I was just telling him, telling him about your perfect breath, but I'm going to let you talk right now. He's coming from to us from Ohio. You're on. 
Uh, thank you much. Thanks so much, Sensei, and I uh, apologize for the technical difficulties, but glad to be here. So, let's see. To the for today's Dharma glimpse, I want to talk about suffering, and more specifically, the title of today's glimpse will be "Life is Suffering, and That's Okay." So the first noble truth of Buddhism states, life is suffering. And this can be off-putting for some people, as it seems to suggest that there is no joy to be found in human existence. However, this couldn't be further from the truth. The first noble truth doesn't deny the pleasant parts of life, family, nature, good health, etc. Rather, it reminds us that those things occur in the midst of all the unpleasant parts death, sickness, climate change, etc. And we can't have one without the other. For example, imagine that we wake up one morning and the weatherman tells us that it's cold outside with three feet of snow on the ground. If we react to his pronouncement with fear and choose to never leave the house, then our lives will be very gray and shallow. On the other hand, we choose to ignore the weatherman's prediction, venturing outside in shorts and flip-flops, then we'll suffer a great deal as snow freezes our skin. But if we accept the inherently cold nature of snow, then we can prepare for it by wearing a heavy coat, boots, and gloves when we go outside. If we do this, the weather conditions won't bother us as much. We may even have some fun. Our warm clothing will allow us to build snowmen, have snowball fights, and maybe even go sledding with our friends. But none of this is possible if we don't prepare correctly. Similarly, when Buddha says life is suffering, he uses the same tone of voice as someone who says, it's cold outside. It isn't an edict designed to make us fearful. Rather, it's meant to be a healthy reminder that suffering exists in the world and we need to prepare. Of course, we don't have to listen. Instead, we can respond to the world by attempting to hide from it, refusing to do anything that might be challenging or unpleasant, but this results in a life free from vigor and accomplishment. Similarly, we can try and distract ourselves, filling our mind with a steady stream of sensual pleasure and social media. But this only works for a short time. Inevitably, life will catch up with us, and it will bring our pain with it. Because we can't remove suffering from life any more than we can remove snow from a snowman. With this in mind, we prepare for the snow because we enjoy building snowmen. We prepare for life and suffering because we enjoy living life. For a Buddhist, Wisdom is our heavy coat, morality is our heavy boots, and meditation is the pair of gloves that prepare us for life in a cold, snow-covered world. And as our practice gets stronger, our suffering becomes less. Until the day comes when we don't see the snow, we just see the snowmen. We don't worry about the cold, we just enjoy our hot chocolate. And we don't fear life's suffering because we're ready to deal with it. Thanks, everyone. And may suffering be ended for all sentient beings.
Thank you very much. It's always kind of interesting to me when I hear, uh, you know, Dharma glimpse and uh, without knowing what it's going to be about, and I just listen, and all kind of associations uh, are triggered in, 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 you know, related ideas about it. And um, uh, cold weather, you know, looking at cold weather in terms of your attitude about it, right, is telling us that... We're the ones that uh, are going to determine uh, our, our our day, our moment. Uh, um, even though a lot of times you might think that life conditions okay, uh, is what is the boss, but uh, and of course you can't ignore life's reality. You, you know and. And of course, you could talk about specifically about weather, and a lot of, we all talk about the weather, but we can't do too much about it. Huh? So how do you accept that? What does it mean when, when somebody, you know, let's say there's just two two attitudes about it. One is, oh man, it's hotter, it's colder. Another person is not bothered by it. Okay. Sort of like. Um, I always remember temple member who, well, he was a, uh, he he was a uh, Caucasian married to a Japanese American woman, and and he mentioned to me once that uh, they were, they went to Great America amusement park, and it started to rain, and that was such a bummer for him. We spoiled their day, but. His wife and their son, young boy, they were having a ball. And it struck him that how how can someone have the ability to turn something bad into something good? And he was kind of, well, maybe he was thinking, gee, you know, she was raised a Buddhist. Maybe she has <laughs> built in somehow she acquired the religious cultural type of an attitude toward accepting conditions, whatever's happening. And th- that's a very acceptance is um interesting word because in, in the West, I think when you say, Oh, can't help it. You have to accept it. This is the way it is. It sounds kind of a, uh, on the negative side. Oh, you know, I wish it, I wish it wasn't like this, but here it is. I can't help it, but I have to accept it. Can't help, can't do anything about it. But this is kind of a deep thing that if you say, uh, if you really accept the reality, that's a that's a a call to freedom. You know, say, so, oh, okay, this is the way it is. What am I gonna do? Because the other alternative is, oh, man, you know, it's like this, uh, and, you know, uh, it may be blaming or, you know, got a lot of negative emotions about something, okay? Uh, 
but uh, if you really accept it, and there's a Japanese word called shigata ganai, which means, oh, you can't help it. This is the way it is. And the point has been made that that's a very powerful statement, a liberating statement. No, this is the way it is. You know, when Japanese Americans in World War II and they had to be, they were by law on the West Coast, you know, 100,000 of them were uprooted. Army comes in and says, well, <laughs> you look like the enemy, you know, and uh, we're going to put you in these internment camps in desolate areas. Okay? And they're incarcerated in it. Huh? Uh, the older generation, there was that was they would say, "Hey, she got the canine." Okay, and we young people did we didn't like to hear that word. Okay, we wanted a fight. That this is not right. Okay, and and some of them did. You know, they took it to Supreme Court and legally said, "Hey, this is unconstitutional. We're American citizens and no due process. All this kind of stuff." But a lot of people in general, just you know. <laughs> The masses of people that were in those kind of conditions, they had that Shigatakanai attitude, maybe from the culture or, you know, uh, religious culture too, okay, uh, of, uh, from the East, that, well, this is how it is. You can't help it. You know, big government, you know, these kind of forces. Hey, now, you got two choices. Uh, one is it could it could ruin you. Say, hey, you know, young adults, you know, you went in and you didn't know how long it was going to last. You didn't know what was going on. Huh? You know, it lasted several years. They had to be in the camps. And young people, that makes their future uncertain. Or <clears throat> maybe, uh, you know, they're young adults and they start, were just starting a business or something. And boom. That was just taken away. It could crush you. It could uh, sour your whole life. Uh, or you could you could put built into the Shigatakanai. Okay, we young people didn't know this built-in teaching there. This this liberation. Okay, so, well, okay, here it is. What, what, what am I going to do? You focus on your attitude, and not on the conditions. Okay? You can't ignore the conditions, okay? Because you got Bob Wire in a century there, <laughs> you know. But you say, "Well, okay, given this situation, what am I going to do?" Well, I could, uh, you know, I have to work hard. <laughs> I'm not condoning this this historical thing, but you know, these people, uh, a lot of them. We're in uh, uh, gardening, nursery, agriculture, truck farming, vegetables. And that kind of work is hard. Yeah? Some people, they say, well, well, you know, the greenness of, uh, you know, farming and stuff. But anybody that knows, that, that's hard work. And uh, these were people that came from Japan, their parents perhaps, or, you know, and... They were seeking a better life, and they worked. They had to work hard. They, they didn't know the language, okay, and so forth. Uh, but uh, 
They said, well, gee, I could take it easy now <laughs> in this camp, in a sense. Okay. Uh, of course, there's the uncertainty there and all this, uh, you know, the morality of it. But they said, hey, maybe I'll, I'll, I could uh, indulge myself in uh, some artistic crafts or this or that. Huh? And a lot of art, interesting art came out of it that was done in the camps. Okay. Um, so I think about this, and in today's glimpse, I think the first statement was, you know, that life is suffering, and that's okay. Hey, that's a pretty good statement. Okay. First noble truth, right? And someone made the point, says, why is it called a noble truth? Okay. Not because that truth is noble, but because <clears throat> you've Accept that reality that things don't go your way all the time. That's the first lesson that parents have to teach young children. You can always, life doesn't get what, you don't get what you want, you know? And yet, you embrace life. And that's a noble thing, that right in the face of this truth, okay, that of dissatisfaction, of unease, of you know, conditions that you can't control and boom, you're, you know, you're like a cork floating in the <laughs> stormy sea. You're pushed this way, that way. Huh? That's, it's it's noble to live positively in the face of life's reality like that. And then you say, <laughs> okay, life is suffering and that's okay. <laughs> I like the word Okay. Uh, to me, that in that context, in that sentence, that okay is spelled with a capital O, meaning that it's an absolute okay. Okay, because if you start thinking about specific examples of suffering in life, and then you say, uh, "That's okay," what are you talking about? Okay, that is a small o, okay. In other words, a relative okayness, comparing and saying, well, you know, uh, <clears throat> whereas when you say, whatever life throws at me, okay, that's okay, meaning there's some acceptance there. That's a truth seeker, sees it. That's absolute okay. And, uh, <clears throat> uh, there's the the hand gesture with the fingers, the thumb and index finger making a circle, and, you know, it's the okay sign. And that, that's kind of intriguing. It's part of our culture, and I think it's specifically from American culture that this, this gesture came, okay? Okay. I think in some European cultures, I'm told that that's, a, that's an obscene gesture if you do that to someone, okay? But in the West, in America specifically, you know, there's a lot of theories about, oh, how did that happen? How did, what's the origin, okay, of the word okay and using that gesture, okay, the okay sign. But <clears throat> what's intriguing is many Buddhist statues, the mudra, hand gesture, okay, uh, there's, you know, there's books on this about all different kind of, Mudras, 
in Buddhism. Classic one is, and if, if you see a, a standing Buddha, um, Amida Buddha, a cosmic Buddha, an idealistic Buddha representing spiritual qualities, and he's making this okay sign. Okay. Very ancient hand gesture, mudra of fearlessness. That's what I was told. I, I can't remember the Pali word for that gesture, but, huh? And he's saying, come on, it's okay. Everything's okay. And Dharma's here. Huh? Come on, it's okay. I think it has the same kind of meaning. The fearlessness, ancient mudra, and then very contemporary, okay gesture in in the West. Um, and it and it behooves us to think about this aspect of how how we acquire that kind of an attitude. Okay. Uh, in the face of difficult conditions. Okay. Now, when you talk about uh, and the glimpse about cold weather, <clears throat> uh, what triggered one memory association was my father used to say, you know, when you're hot, be hot. When you're cold, be cold. Okay. Talking about summer and winter, you know. Uh well, <laughs> well, if you start to experiment sort of with this aspect, well, gee, when it's cold, yeah, be cold then. Don't fight it. Huh? If, if if you have to go, let's say you you walk from your car into a building. Okay? Your car car is warm, it's got a heater, and the building is going to be heated, but you got to walk eh, not too far, but. And you might be shivering and say, "Oh man, I got to I got to hurry up and get into a warm place." Try this. Say, "Hmm, I'm going to experience this cold." Approach it as a, you know, interesting topic. Uh, I want to experience this cold weather in a perfect way. <laughs> what do you you know? And with that attitude, when you go out of the car, uh, you might feel some your your cheek tingling a little bit. Huh? You say, "Hey, I never thought about it, but you know, I could feel that tingle there." Or I could. Uh, you start to experience the coldness as an interesting, intriguing thing huh? because you open yourself to accepting it. Uh, this is, uh, you know, how do you use the suffering? How do you, you know, how do you enjoy your suffering? How do you become one with that? Whatever's going on, huh? where everything's okay, even when things are not going okay. There, there you go, Buddhism, right there. Hey, hey, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a. Uh, Beautiful day. Thank you.